Good evening. I want to remind you that um, we will be doing our one word study starting at the first of the year. First Sunday in January, we'll kick off our one word study. We've been advertising that. There is a devotional book. That book takes one word, and for five days during the week, you'll study that word. We are actually going to study that same word on Sunday mornings for the entire year. And so we'd like for everyone to be on the same page. We've provided books a couple of times now, and they all keep getting taken, which is good. That's what we want you to do. And I believe we'll have other books uh, before too long. We'll restock, and uh, you can also order them at onewordstudy.com. But we want to all kind of be on the same page, digging into the word together. And this is one really neat way of doing it, by taking one word every week. I also want to thank you so much for your prayers, your concern for my father. Just talked to him again today. I've talked to him every day since the surgery on Tuesday. Today he sounded better than he ever has, and he is waiting to go home. So hopefully that will happen very soon. Thank you for your, your concern about that. And thank you for the nice comments that you've had over this series, because it is a difficult series to do. I mean, elephants in the church are just that. They're elephants because we don't want to talk about them. Because talking about them can kind of draw lines, and you may not agree with everything I've had to say about these topics, but I appreciate you being nice, being cordial, and understanding. I just want to make you think about some of these things. And tonight may be the most divisive when you think about it. Politics is something that, uh, unfortunately, has been all-consuming in our culture and even in the church. You know what politics means, right? Two words, poly, which means many, and ticks, which are blood-sucking creatures. That's what the word <laughs> means. Um, no, I, I got to tell you, when people ask me, do you enjoy politics or do you despise politics? My answer is always, yeah, yeah. Um, I have long been interested in politics. I can remember my grandfather campaigning for Ronald Reagan. I sat around the dinner table every night listening to my parents discuss politics, especially my grandfather, and I had a vested interest in politics from a very early age. Even to this day, I cannot call my dad without, at some point, the conversation turning to politics. And it's something that right now I'm a little bit jaded and bitter about. Uh, this is strictly opinion. You won't find this in the Bible. This is the gospel according to Chris, but I believe that we have uh, a lot of people in Washington that don't care about us, and that's just the way I feel about it. I don't know that we have a government for the people and by the people right now, and uh, that, that's irritating to me. It's frustrating to me, and I don't think they're all bad, but I do think that we have a bunch of uh, lifetime politicians and a bunch of political elitists that uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm not happy with right now, so that's just my personal opinion. You want to know my overall position that I think I can back up with the Bible? Here it is. Jesus is king. And because Jesus is king, I don't get too bent out of shape about anything concerning politics. Because Jesus is king, I remind myself that I am a part of his kingdom and that no, no matter what happens politically, no matter what happens, the economy can crash, healthcare can get even worse than it is, we can have all these problems become worse that we see going on in our country, but at the end of the day, I don't invest my hope and my, and my belief system in politics. Jesus is my king. And because he is my king, I know that I've won. That no matter what happens in this world, it could all come crumbling down. Our nation could crumble. But we still win. Because he is king. Now, 
I also believe this with all my heart. I also believe in voting. I do. I am one that, obviously, being on the school board, I'm somewhat interested in politics and being involved in the political process. I, I just believe that if Romans 13 says that civil government is a minister of God, then I believe that you know, we as Christians have a responsibility to, you know, to be involved in the process of electing individuals who understand that, right? Who understand what it means to be a minister of God and being involved in the civil government. I don't believe you're a sinner if you don't vote. I've been known to boycott an election because it was the lesser of two evils, and I didn't believe in voting for any evil. But I do believe that we have a wonderful privilege to elect the people who will speak for us. And so I, I am one that is involved in the political process because I think that it is a privilege that we have, and I think that we should elect people who have a Christian mindset, who understand that civil government is a minister of God. But at the end of the day, Donald Trump isn't preaching the gospel. I don't care how good a president you think any president we've had has been. They're not preaching the gospel. That's our job. That's our responsibility. So you can do like I do and vote for morals. You can vote for people that you think will uphold Christian values. But at the end of the day, I've yet to see any of them stand up and use their platform to preach the gospel. That's why I don't get too invested in politics. And that's why you hear me say often, you don't really truly change the world through politics. Yes, I believe you can make policy changes. Yes, I believe that you can make legislative changes that help our country although I'm not even sure that that's going to happen. I'm not sure that our country wants to end abortion. Put your money where your mouth is because you haven't done it yet. And many of you have had the opportunity to do it as elected officials and you haven't. But either way, you can vote morals, you can believe in that, and I believe in that. You can believe in, in putting people in power that will protect our Christian values. But at the end of the day, are they preaching the gospel? So they're not truly changing the world because the only way you change the world is one soul at a time. Our political system has not truly changed the world. Not in a spiritual sense. You see, Jesus as king and his people as Christians have done more for this culture and this country and this world than any Democrat or Republican could ever do. Because we have a life-changing message, right? Now, I say all this because it's unfortunate that politics has become an idol in our country a lot of times. Why is politics so divisive? Why do people get so angry? You know, I wonder that with, like, sports. You know, you can pay $100 to go watch your favorite team play, and if they lose, you get so upset. You know, uh, uh, Greg Ruffin, you know, our dear member here, conned me into, well, he didn't con me. He didn't have to, to, to do too much to get me to direct the Cat Claw tournament this year. And, and to hear people in the stands losing their mind over a basketball game. And you're sitting there going, how can something like a basketball game control your emotions so much that it affects how you act and interact with others, even the next day, right? And yet politics does that to people. Because it's an idol for so many. You step on a person's idol, and you'll get the wrath, right? That's how you know if some, something is an idol to someone. Just step on that idol and see what their reaction is. 
So I would caution all of us not to put too much stock in something that's fleeting, because politics is, right? It's fleeting. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. We don't belong here. I think a mistake that we often make is that we go to the Bible and we try to read it from an American viewpoint. For instance, we look at Psalm 33 and we think that applies to America. You ever read Psalm 33? I've actually heard people say, well, that has to do with America. Psalm 33 and verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And we take that and we make it mean that we've got to vote for somebody who's going to protect the United States of America and make it a God-fearing nation because that's what Psalm 33 is talking about. Folks, if we're going to be people of the word, then let's do that. Because within this context, it's not saying that, not even close. I mean, if we're going to stand for truth, let's stand for all truth, okay? And let's not read our American culture into this. That is a very misapplied verse. And the second part of that verse means this. It says, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. You know who that's talking about? Not Americans. It's talking about Israel. In the context of the Old Testament, it's talking about Israel. In the context of the New Testament, it's talking about us, the church. We are the people of his own inheritance. We are his chosen people. We are this blessed nation. In the Old Testament, blessed means happy. Israel could be happy because they were God's chosen people. We can feel blessed because we are the nation whose God is Lord. That's the church that's being talked about here. And if you read through Psalm 33 in its entirety, you make the proper application what you're going to see is that the message is one that should provide great comfort rather than anxiety. The psalmist reminds Israel not to put their hope in false things. Notice verse 10, it says, The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. In other words, the psalmist is saying, it doesn't matter how powerful a nation is. Nothing's greater than God. No plan can succeed unless the Lord allows it. A great army, a mighty warrior strength, or even a, a powerful war horse are all false hopes, as Psalm 33 and 17 states. So the message is, don't put your trust in these things. And don't fear them, because they're not greater than God. And oh, how that applies to us today, right? You think about us as Christians and how this should apply to us. A strong leader, an arsenal arsenal of nuclear weapons, a strong military, a thriving economy, all these things could probably be called false hopes. You put all of your eggs in that basket, you're probably going to be let down because they're fleeting anyway. They are false hopes. Take note of verses 20 through 22. It says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield for our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. No matter who is in the White House, Jesus is Lord. That's who we put our trust in. That's who we fear. That's where our security lies. If the economy crashes, if health care becomes even more out of control, if, if evil becomes more and more legalized and promoted, God is in control. Jesus is king. No matter what happens to the United States of America, I am still, and you are still, a part of the nation whose God is Lord. And we should take great comfort in that. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's interesting that when the Jews found themselves in Babylon, they were still the nation whose God is Lord. I want you to notice what is written in Jeremiah 29 and 7. 
It reads, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. The Israelites' citizenship was in Canaan, not Babylon. And yet while they were in Babylon, God tells them, Seek the welfare of that city. Pray to the Lord on behalf of that city. It didn't matter where they were at currently. What mattered was that they served God wherever they were at. We are exiles. Peter says as much, that we are aliens and strangers. Your version may say pilgrims or sojourners. We ought to pray to the Lord on its behalf. We ought to vote for leaders who we think will uphold Christian values. We ought to promote biblical values. We ought to do our duty to serve and protect the nation. And we ought to remember that the things of this nation are not our hope. It's not where our hope lies. They are not the source of our blessedness. Y'all really wish that Christians would be more vocal about the gospel. I wish they'd be as vocal about the gospel as they are about things concerning politics. You know, I see Christians so often willing to promote a political agenda. They're willing to share their political beliefs and views and their support of a candidate with their neighbor and yet never preach the gospel to their neighbor. You know, through the use of social media, I see Christians who are speaking out against certain candidates while promoting others, and yet very seldom do you see them promoting the gospel. What is wrong with us as Christians that we become so consumed with something that is earthly, no matter how important we think it is, and that we do it to the neglect of what's most important? I'm not telling you politics isn't important. I'm not telling you not to vote. There are two extremes here. There is the extreme where, for instance, the preacher stands up and says, you ought to vote for this candidate. You must vote for this candidate because he is anointed by God, and if you don't vote for him, it's sinful. That's one extreme. But then there's an extreme like David Lipscomb who believed that you should not vote, you should not be involved in the government processes at all, that Christians should be aloof and separate from it because it's earthly. I don't think either one of those extremes are correct in my view although I know some people hold them. I think, like a lot of things, the truth lies somewhere in between. But one thing I know is wrong is when we allow politics to consume us to the point that it pushes God out of first place in our hearts. You pledge allegiance to Him. He's the one that we bow before. He's the one that is King and Lord of our lives. And we need to be willing, above all else, to be change agents in this world by spreading the gospel, by promoting him first and foremost. Again, I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying don't be involved. Just don't become a slave to it. Here's another thing that bothers me. Is gossip and slander wrong or is it not? I mean, very simple question. Is gossip and slander sinful or is it not? I mean, the Bible says it is, right? In more than one place. Why do we think that within the context of politics, it's okay? Because it's not. Even those politicians 
that you want to accuse, even though they hadn't been found guilty yet, even those politicians that you want to accuse, that you want to gossip about, that you want to slander about in whatever format it is, whether it's through social media or just by word of mouth, there's still people that are made in the image of God and you're still sinning. I mean, do we stand for truth or not? If we do, then we have to stand for all of it all the time. And we don't get a hall pass in the realm of politics. Christians should be Christ-like all the time. And we don't get an exemption when we're talking about politics. Remember the words of Paul in Colossians 3 and 8. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Just because a person is running for public office doesn't mean that they are fair game. As Christians, we must always, always stand for truth. Always. And standing for truth isn't just about supporting the right candidates with the right policies. It means standing against lying, gossip, slander, and all those things. And here's something else to keep in mind. The church already has enough division. You know it. There's already enough division in the church. Over and over again in Paul's letters, there is one theme that comes up, and that is unity. Politics isn't so important that it should divide the body of Christ. Ever. Don't make it more important than what it is. Unity should always come first. We should always be seeking unity and peace in the sight of God. Romans 12 and 6 says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. Politics are temporary. The church and your soul are eternal. So keep politics in its proper place and on the proper shelf the church is always more important jesus's agenda is always more important and where do you find in the gospels that he was out advocating for government protection where he was out picketing and protesting? where do you find any of that he was about a mission and we should be as well don't let politics diminish your christian character here's something else to think about I want you to imagine a homeless person that a very wealthy man takes an interest in. And this very wealthy man wants to give this man a home, so he does. He purchases a nice home for him. He puts him in that home, and he pays for all the amenities, heating, air conditioning, electricity, running water. But after time goes by, let's say five or ten years, the man who was so generous decides to take some of those things away. He doesn't want to pay for them anymore. And so he cuts off the running water. He cuts off the air conditioning. This homeless man still has a house. He still has other amenities. But the man who provided them decided he didn't want to give all of them anymore. How should the homeless person respond? Should he be angry? Well, all of it was a gift to begin with, right? Or should he be thankful for the time that he had them? Kind of difficult, isn't it? Think about that in terms of the privileges that we have gotten to enjoy in this country. We were born at the right time. We've gotten to enjoy a lot of privileges under this government. As Christians, we have enjoyed many privileges that seem to be getting taken away or there's the threat of them getting taken away. 
what should be our response? Should we be irate? Should we be angry? Or should we be thankful for the time that we had them, right? Oh, that's tough. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't stand up and vote for people to protect these rights. Not at all. I'm just saying, what's our perspective? You know, believe it or not, we don't need the government. We don't. The church doesn't need the government. I'm glad we have government protection. I'm, I'm glad that we are able to come here and worship every week without fear. I'm glad that we are not a persecuted people or a persecuted church. But if the day came that all of our privileges were removed and we did become an illegal religion, we'd be okay. We would. There are Christians all over this world that are worshiping underground because Christianity is an illegal religion there. The church is thriving in China, 80 million Christians, and it's an illegal religion. We'd be okay. The first church never should have gotten off the ground. I mean, throughout history, the church has largely been opposed by the government. And yet she's always been okay. And we will always be okay. I'm thankful that we have the privileges that we have. But if they all get taken away, we're going to make it. Because Jesus is king. And if he's your king, you already win. We're going to be all right. I think we should just, uh, seek to elect individuals who want to protect our religious freedom. I don't think that we sit back and just let all that happen. I'm merely saying that if we lose those privileges, if we have a government that becomes hostile toward Christianity, that would be sad. Maybe even make us angry, but we'd make it. Regardless of what you believe, we don't have to have the government to protect us. To sum it all up, here's the point of the lesson. Don't allow politics to shape you. Don't allow politics to shape your worldview. Don't allow politics to shape your view of people. Don't allow politics to shape your view of faith. Let Jesus do that. See things through his eyes. Be what he was about. How you vote is not the most important thing about you. You are not a Democrat. You are not a Republican. You are a Christian, first and foremost. And maybe what some of us need to do is turn off Fox News and get out and go to work and start spreading the gospel to truly change the world. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day that we've had to come together as your family to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, as we leave here tonight, we pray that that we can be everything that you would have us to be, that we can be people who seek real change by preaching your word, by being lights in the world around us. God, we pray for our nation. We pray for the leaders of this nation, as you've told us to. We pray that good men and women will rise up to be involved in the political process, who will protect biblical values, 
will be moral people who seek to bring us back to God. Help us, Lord, as a nation to, to repent and to turn to you. Let us understand that civil government is a minister of God, and let us put people in place that believe that and adhere to that. But God, above all, may we be your own people who revere you as king and who seek to live as your servants in a world that desperately need Jesus. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. If you have a need tonight that we can help you with, we ask that you come forward while Sawyer leads us in a song. I want to encourage you this week to, to go out and show Christ to others. Be that change that this world so desperately needs. If we can help you in any way tonight, if you need prayers or support of this church family, if you'd like to set up a Bible study or maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, whatever your need is, come now as we stand and as we sing. When peace like a river